rise. That's what America needs, is Christians to rise up and make a difference for Jesus Christ. We fulfill our ministry by preaching in churches, Bible conferences, pastors, fellowships, etc. I probably was, last year was in over 60 churches, and that's probably the schedule that will uh, be true. Today is a very unusual day, three churches one day. But normally it's one church, and a lot of times they have an afternoon service, they don't have an evening service. I used to be in one church in the morning, one at night. Very few churches are just having evening service now. Or if they are, they're embarrassed by the crowd and attendance. So a lot of churches are doing home Bible studies and other things on that on Sunday night. So that's changing. Missions conference, pastors, fellowships, etc. Our Truth About series, the pamphlets, there are 25 of them on the table over there on various topics. Uh, the Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so we decided early in the ministry to start doing these. And they've just kind of grown as people have asked questions about different topics we've added to it. So those are free. Help yourself to it. We also publish a weekly newsletter called Arise. Many of you already receive it. Uh, if you do not would like to get it, it comes by email. Daryl Zigafus is whose email will, will say the message title or the t- uh, will, or subject will say Arise and then the date. We never asked you for money. I never asked for things like that. So if you get a request like that, you'll know that we've been cloned or something. But uh, those are free, and again, we help, help yourself to the brochures tonight. We also partner with pastors around the state. A lot of pastors are really hurting. A pastor mentioned that, you know, it's, this morning, it's sometimes tough to be a pastor in New York State. I'm not sure it's easy to be a pastor anywhere, but New York State has some extra challenges, and so we try to be an encouragement and help to them. Uh, recently, I've been ministering to a, a man who's in a nursing home, was a pastor, had to resign because of health. Dick Grasser for Palmyra Bible Baptist Church. I've been seeing him once a week. I make calls to others. Uh, we attended a pastor's uh, wife's funeral just a couple weeks ago. Pastor DePue from Newark. And, and there are people that are facing real challenges. And sometimes pastors just need somebody to talk to. And I'm the guy that can do that. We uh, I mentioned last year, I believe, the, the cascading crises. This so was the second, yesterday was the second anniversary of President Biden's administration. He, uh, in his inaugural address, said there are six crises that America is facing, any one of which would be daunting, but all together piling up really become a serious concern. And here's his list. COVID-19, we would agree, has been a crisis. Thankfully, the pandemic is over. It's still out there. It's still around. We're finding out more and more that the government lied to us. Um, things like, you know, you get the vaccine, you won't get COVID. Did not work out too well. Uh, you get it once, you can never get it again. Mm, that's not true. Uh, we're finding out, you know, we wear a mask and all that. Uh, anyway, they're talking about putting masks back on again. Um, just, it, it's a crisis. It affected education probably more than anything, the economy as well. Uh, I work, I'm an advisor, I'm a member of the Advisory Council for Religious and Independent Schools for New York State. Commissioner of Education, and in those meetings, they've talked about kids being as far behind as two years in their education because of COVID, and they're kind of scrambling, what do we do about it, how do we do it, fix it, and uh, many of our Christian schools did very well, uh, but the public schools really had a rough time with this one. Global warming is really driving the agenda, both in Albany and in Washington. We're spending millions of dollars. The uh, Inflation Reduction Act 
John Kerry said this week was primarily about global warming or climate change. The World Economic Forum is meeting in, or met this last week in Davos, Switzerland. Much of the agenda had, there were over 400 workshops, other keynote speakers, etc., but much of the, the news coming out of there had to do with global warming. Their goal is to reduce global warming by 1.5 degrees. And uh, they're all worried about it. I have two questions on global warming. Number one, is it real? Number two, are we responsible? We should be good stewards of the environment, but the idea that we can somehow control the weather is foolishness. Um, it's, it's a crazy idea. That group, by the way, said their, their goal, that Klaus is, a man named Klaus is the um, founder and president of the organization, said that their goal was to master the earth, master the world. That's really what they're plotting. Uh, the next issue of Arise has an expose on a little bit of what they're doing. The uh, growing inequality is this transgender nonsense that's going on. I thought about talking about gender tonight, but we've always had young, young kids here, and I, I thought maybe that would not be good in, in a mixed group like that. So uh, we'll just mention the fact the crazy notion that you can change your gender. We're being asked to ex respect that, and it's nonsense. You, you can't change your gender. You're born a boy, you remain a boy. You're born a girl, you remain a girl. It's stamped in every cell of your body. So it's just, you know, the idea that boys should be able to transition to girls and play in women's sports is, is totally unfair. Just totally unfair. Then racism. Racism is raising its ugly head again in America, primarily driven by a thing called critical race theory. There's a brochure on it that you can read about it. Uh, it's an evil thing. I think it is a crisis. America's standing in the world. We've lost a lot of ground with our allies and with our enemies. Our allies don't, aren't sure they can depend on us, and our enemies no longer fear us. Uh, so it is a serious problem. Uh, President Biden meant it another way. He meant the Trump administration, but I think we got a lot of blame right here on Biden. And then attack on the truth. Um, we are living in a time of unprecedented censorship. Now, what he's talking about, he, he likes the idea of controlling social media and keeping certain things out of the news. They like censorship. They're all for that. My perspective is people hate the truth today. So when you present something on social media that uh, doesn't go along with what the, you know, whoever the administrators are, you get blocked or you get punished for doing it. So that's the president's six. My six, I've added six. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's the anniversary of Roe v. Wade 50 years ago. Supreme Court said abortion was something that the federal government could control and should be legal under certain circumstances. In June, they overturned that by saying, no, this is not in the Constitution. It belongs to the states. It did not legalize abortion anywhere. That's a mistake that the media sometimes says. What it did, there are some states that had trigger laws, but some of the, it's up to the states. Unfortunately, here in New York, our governor wants to make us the abortion capital of the world. And she has got money in the budget this last year, millions of dollars, in order to pay for women from states that cannot get an abortion easily to come to New York. We'll pay their motel bill, the hospital bill, the doctor's bill, and we'll pay for their flight back home. And so about 10% of all abortions in the United States occur in the state of New York. Border crisis. The 
border is not closed, <laughs> no matter what the president says. We, we're getting millions of people here. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they're from. Well, we do know where they're from. They're checking on this. They've had over, over 170 nations represented by people who have been apprehended at the border. Over 5 million have been apprehended in the last two years. And about 2 million, is estimated, have got, not, been un, not been apprehended. So we really don't know how many there are. We don't know where they are. It's been amusing to watch the, the left react. Mayors like New York City complaining about some coming, being shipped from other governors. The, state, the border states are getting tens of thousands sometimes in a day. And our uh, other governors are complaining about, well, Martha's Vineyard, they complained about 40. Now you can see the hypocrisy of this involved in that. Crime and lawlessness. We have prosecutors no longer prosecuting crime. Certain things are now off the table. Uh, bail, and re uh, bail reform, uh, quick release is creating this problem, creating greater. Some of our cities are no longer safe. Inflation, national debt. We hit the debt limit on Thursday, $31.4 trillion. We hit that already, so we've already made that mark. Congress now, uh, Treasury, U.S. Secretary Treasury Yeltsin said, she had wiggle room. She could probably keep things going until June. Uh, watch, Congress will just end up raising the debt. Now, if you have a credit card and you hit your limit, what do you do? Well, if you've got any intelligence, you stop spending. But the government has not been doing that. Well, my whole lifetime, we've been putting everything on credit cards. Wars, programs, every year, more and more debt, more and more. And the last two years, it's been unbelievable, the amount of money. The Tea Party got its start when the national debt was $10 trillion. And people were upset about it. It's now three times that amount. So we're, we're, we're asleep at the switch. I mean, it's, and it can't continue. And you're paying for it in inflation. So your money's not worth as much as it was. War drums. We have a, a dangerous world. Russia invaded Ukraine. We're paying for the weapons for Ukraine to defend themselves. Uh, China has been making inroads in the Pacific and making overtures toward taking Taiwan. Uh, North Korea has been shooting missiles. Iran is developing nuclear weapons as well as an intercontinental missile that will not only reach Israel but would reach the United States. Uh, this is, keeps growing. It's a dangerous world. And there are people even advocating war with China um, in leadership. War is a bad thing. And people get killed and die, and, you know, it's questionable whether we could win. Bottom line in all this, it's a, it's a spiritual crisis. America's in trouble because we're forgetting God. And as you forget God, there are, there are consequences. When you're going the wrong way, God throws up consequences, and that's what's happening in America. We have all these consequences happening to us because of our disobedience to Almighty God. And the answer is to turn back to God. Well... That's our situation. Uh, the Word of God says in Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. That always grieves me. That's a verse that kind of haunts me because I love America. And, you know, I, I realize there's a real place called hell, and I really don't want to see that happen to my country or to anyone else. Well, I think we spoke on this maybe last year about faith over fear. 
we don't have the spirit of... Look in this world, you can get pretty scared. But we need to look beyond this world to the God who's in control. He's still on the throne. So let's think about that for a minute. I taught the Gospel of John last year at North Star Bible Institute. And the Bible is such a wonderful book. No matter how much you study it or read it, you always find something new. Now, it's not really new, you understand, but something kind of jumps out of the text that you hadn't noticed before. And this is the verse that stood out for me. These things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, and be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Isn't that a wonderful promise? There are false evangelists on TV that will tell you that if you just believe everything will be wonderful, you'll be wealthy, healthy, well, you know, rich and wise and all things. Now, Jesus said in the world you're going to have tribulation. He didn't make a false promise. But what he did say is, I've said some things to you that will help you in troubled times. Since I think we're headed for troubled times, I wish it weren't so. I wish I could tell you that, boy, things are going to turn around and we're going to have a national revival. But right now, you know, we've got two more years of President Biden. Um, you know, we've got a governor in the state that's very liberal. I think it's going to be a little more difficult for Christians. I, I'm already seeing things that are happening, people that stand up for, for truth sometimes. A lady came up to me in church and said, I gave your book, your pamphlet over here on homosexuality to a person I'm working with, and I lost my job because of it. The man had asked questions to her. She said, I know I have some materials. I'll help you. And she lost her job. I felt terrible, but she said, it's okay. I got a better job. So God has a way of taking care of his own. But that's the kind of stuff that's happening in our day. Let's remember where Jesus was saying this. This is a time in, in Jesus' life where he's at the end. This is in the upper room. This is a time when, when the Lord is gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. And he understands that his time is very short. Before the night is over, he will be arrested. The next day, he will be tried, beaten, nailed to a cross, crucified, die for us. So he gathers with his disciples and he has some last things he wants to tell them. It's found in John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. Chapter 17 is his high priestly prayer. This is a, a, a section of God's word. When I get there, I always kind of feel like I ought to take off my shoes because we're on holy ground. Jesus is described as being troubled at this point. He understands what he's going to go through. Going to the cross was not an easy thing. We can think about crucifixion, and we know the end of the story, how he raises, rises from the dead the third day. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. The Word of God says, He who knew no sin would become sin for us, that we might receive the righteousness of God in him. What did it mean for Jesus Christ to be crucified? We can't even understand that, I don't think. When he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I can't explain that. I can't explain it. I believe it. That's what it says. But I can't really understand what it meant for Jesus to become sin for us. So he's gathering with his disciples. This is a, a special time. And he has some things to say to them. He first washes their feet. That's a strange thing, but that's what happens in chapter 13. 
He identifies the one who's going to betray him, Judas Iscariot. Judas leaves. He celebrates the Last Supper. John doesn't record that. That's recorded for us by the other gospel writers. Then he begins to speak to them. So the, these things, what did Jesus say? I'm going to look at three things that Jesus said. I can't look at all of them because we would be here for a long time. There's three chapters. But three things stand out in my mind of things that can help you get through. Three promises that will help you get through very difficult times. Number one is the promise of heaven. Pastor's already mentioned, you know, we sorrow not as others who have no hope. When we see a loved one, I was with my mother when she passed. I had her funeral or graveside. I said, good night, Mom. I'll see you in the morning. Because we have a hope. Jesus, with his disciples, says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, how we know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now what Jesus is saying here, I've heard pastors say Jesus is in a construction project up in heaven building a mansion for you. I don't think in context that's what he was talking about, although there's a sense in which he's done that. I think what he's talking about is, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go to the cross. But if I go to the cross, I want you to know that's not the end. I am going to come again. And I'm, going to re- I'm making a place for you. You see, if Jesus Christ had not died on the cross, there'd be no place for us in heaven. I personally believe that the Old Testament saint went to a place called paradise. In Luke 16, it's called Abraham's bosom. It was not heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, the reason for that is until the cross actually happened, until Jesus actually died for our sins, that door was closed. But when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he led captivity captive. Paradise was emptied out. So today, what happens when you die? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I've talked to a lot of pastors in the last two years, and I've asked them, what surprised you the most about COVID? And the number one answer has always been, how many of my people were afraid? Afraid of dying. Now think through this. You're a Christian. You've received Jesus Christ as Savior. If you die tonight, what happens? You go to heaven. Is that so bad? I mean, think about that. Uh, Crosby from Crosby, Stills, and Nash died this last week. Earlier in the week, he said, I think heaven's overrated. I think it's cloudy up there. Well, we sing a song about a cloudless sky, don't we? Uh, We're going to a place that is, is, is wonderful. No matter what you've seen or experienced, heaven's better. I love the sunsets. Love to see the sky painted by God himself. But heaven's better. When we lived in Michigan, we went to the Tulip Festival each year. It's a beautiful thing to see. Witness all those beautiful colored tulips and fields and fields, acres and acres. And Heaven's better. You've had a beautiful day, beautiful weather. Heaven's better. 
Last year we went to Marathon in the Keys, uh, Florida Keys in February, and we went there to visit a friend. And boy, it was nice to get out of the winter. And it was perfect weather, but heaven's better. We've had great times of fellowship with pastors and friends around the, the state this last year. Heaven's better. It's better. Let's think about a couple things about heaven for just a minute. First of all, it's a place of resurrection. We're going to get a new body. 75 years old, I'm starting to have more aches and pains. It takes a little longer to get out of the car. Get out of the car after driving, and I have this old man walk <laughs> until the legs start moving again. And, you know, and cranking the neck, hand that hurts with arthritis. You know, we got all these kinds of things. We're going to get a new body someday. No aches and pains. You know, I think God sometimes allows people to be in a time of suffering before their death just so we can kind of be willing to let them go and just say it's okay. You know, it's, we're going to get a new body. Death is not the end for the believer. It's the beginning. So we ought to look forward to it. We ought to look forward to that place of resurrection. Secondly, it's a place of rejoicing. Psalm 16, verse 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. What a day that'll be. Can you imagine being with the Lord? Man, it's going to be great. It's a place of reunion as well. We're going to see our loved ones who've gone on before. We'll be reunited with them. Barb's dad died 20 years before her mom. Her mom died uh, three years ago, 2020. And... Uh, she occasionally would get angry and say, she had some dementia, and she would get kind of angry. She said, why did he die? When I was sick, I took care of him, and now he's gone. Nobody's here to take care of us, me. And we'd say, well, Mom, we're here. And she used to look at the calendar and say, Mom, what are you looking for? She said, I'm looking for the day I die. Oh, Mom, that's not on the calendar. We, we can't put that. But I picture Barb's dad meeting her in heaven and saying, what took you so long? You know, here you are. What a rejoice, a time of rejoicing. We'll see our loved ones. I have a bunch of people I'd like to see, and, uh, but that's part of that reunion. It's, it's a place of reward as well. It's also a place of loss of reward. There will be a judgment seat. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body, whether it be good or evil. We are going to have our works manifest, made manifest. Fire is going to try every man's work to see what sort it is. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. So our works are going to be judged. We're going to receive a crown, reward. I think one of the surprising things about heaven will be God showing us the impact that we had on other people. People that watched us at work that never said anything. Never mentioned it. Now that we're traveling around and I pastored for 30 years, occasionally we're running into somebody that, uh, you know, a person will come up to me and say, you know, you're the one who led me to Christ. One Sunday morning, I, I received, you preach the word of God, and I, I received Christ as my Savior. This last week, the first man I led to Christ as a teenager was promoted to glory. Looking forward to seeing him someday. Every time I saw him, he'd say, you're the one that led me to Jesus Christ. Well, what a glorious day that'll be when my Jesus I shall see. I mentioned wanting to see some people. I've got kind of a list. I've been making a list because I want to be ready. If I go on a trip, I always kind of research to find out what it is they're seeing in this area, what we want to do, and that kind of thing. So if I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to spend all eternity, I'd like to be prepared. 
I don't waste any time. Well, I guess you can't waste time in heaven. Come to think of it, I'd like to see the Apostle Paul. It'd be a long line to see him, but we got eternity. I'd like to see the, John the Apostle. I'd, I'd like to see John the Baptist. I'd like to meet him. I'd like to sit down and talk with Ezekiel and say, would you please explain that book to me? <laughs> I don't get some of that. What was that all about? Well, and there's loved ones, and grandparents that I never knew. I'd like to see them. I hope I'm not surprised by people that are not there. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing some people in American history. I hope that they were believers. David Crockett, for instance, father was a lay Baptist preacher. Did you know that? Jesse James had a stepfather that had been a Baptist pastor too. So I don't know that either one are in heaven, but I'd like to meet them. I'd like to sit down and talk with Washington and Lincoln. And that'd be a neat thing. Don't you think that'd be neat? So you know, the more you think about heaven, the more homesick you ought to get. Heaven's a wonderful thing. So number one thing Jesus said that's going to help you in troubled times is... We're going to heaven. We're on our way. So this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. They're all, <laughs> heaven's beckoning me. I'm homesick. I'm ready to go. My bags are packed. I'm ready to go. I hope you are too. The only way you can be ready though is by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Then number two, I hesitated preaching this message because of this. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a helper. The best message I've heard on the Holy Spirit was given by your pastor. Touched my heart. In fact, I liked it so much, I asked him to preach it again at one of our pastor's Arise conferences. Um, you know, we're not going to be alone. These guys are three years they've been with Jesus. They're not really understanding that he's going to die. They haven't comprehended that really. They're arguing just a little hour, a few hours before that who would be the greatest in the kingdom. So they're thinking about kingdom. They're not thinking about death. They're not thinking about the cross. And Jesus said, now, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Now, he said, this is the text, John 14, 16, and 17, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he is with you and shall be in you. The Holy Spirit is our helper. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you received the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now the Holy Spirit came in a different way on the day of Pentecost. Before Pentecost, he was with the believer. After Pentecost, he is in the believer. So you have all the Holy Spirit you'll ever get. The question is, how much of you the Holy Spirit has? How much control do you allow of him? We're told not to be drunk with wine, in which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the goal of the Christian should be to, to have this wonderful helper present in our life and active in our life. Now, Jesus lists some things that this Holy Spirit was going to do, this Holy Helper. He said he will bring all things to your remembrance. If I was one of the disciples, Jesus is going to leave. How are we going to remember all that he taught us? Jesus, don't worry about it. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you. 
He's going to guide you. He's going to bring to remembrance everything I've said unto you. And he did. We have the New Testament because of that. But the Holy Spirit's ministry involves when you read the Bible, you have a teacher that's inside you to help you understand it. So the Holy Spirit is able to take the text and explain it to you. There's a ministry of the Holy Spirit called illumination. That's where you're reading the passage and something suddenly leaps off the page. Just what I needed. How many times have you turned? For me, if I'm down, I, I, I find reading the Psalms helps. And I almost always find a verse is just what I need in the Psalms. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He'll guide you into truth. He's going to help you. He's going to bear witness of me. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples who had been afraid received the Holy Spirit. Suddenly they're out on the streets sharing the gospel with thousands. and ten, Thousands are saved. The Holy Spirit's the one that helps you witness. You say, I don't know what to say. Just let the Holy Spirit guide you and he'll teach you what to say. Now, some of it you've witnessed and a verse comes to mind that's just exactly what's needed. Uh, now, it's got to be in you before you can get it out. The Holy Spirit can take it out of you, so you've got to memorize scripture. But the Holy Spirit's able to use that. The Holy Spirit's active in soul winning. In Acts, we find Philip being led to this to an unbeliever. Peter, led by the Holy Spirit to speak to Cornelius. The Holy Spirit guides us. There's a sinner prompting. You ought to say something to that man. You ought to say something to that woman. You ought to give out that track. That's the Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit's involved in that. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God says, will reprove the world of sin and of judgment to come. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts of righteousness. I was in a church recently and a, a man asked a question about repentance. Do you think repentance is necessary for salvation? Yeah, I do. He was kind of shocked. Oh, I didn't. When I was saved, I didn't repent of anything. Ah, you were trusting self. You came to Christ. That sounds like repentance to me. And some people try to point that out that, well, you have to repent, you have to name every sin and, and, and forsake it. That's, that's not really repentance, it's a change of mind. Instead of being an enemy of God, you receive the gift of salvation. Instead of trusting in your religion, your good works, your family connections, you know, my grandfather's a Baptist pastor, therefore I'm a Christian. No, that doesn't work that way. God has no grandchildren, He only has sons and daughters. Well, the Holy Spirit's the one who brings conviction. And really, in soul winning, the Holy Spirit has to do the work or nothing will be accomplished. You can win an argument, but you can't really win a soul unless the Holy Spirit does it. And he has to work on that person's heart. I have had many experiences with people that I thought were saved that later, I don't think God was in it. And then I've had other experiences. When I was in college, i never forget two young men we went to the jail to visit. They had been arrested for stealing a car. They were juveniles. They put them in a separate section. And they said we could go in and talk to them. My friend and I went in. We talked to them. I explained the plan of salvation. They were scared. They were, they were really scared. They were in trouble and they knew it. I, I presented the plan of salvation. I said, would you like to receive? Yes, we would. And they both prayed the sinner's prayer. And I, said, you know, this, I looked at my friend and he said, yeah, this is not quite right. Something's not right here. So I said, let me explain it to you again. So I explained it to him again. Three times I went through that. Three times they prayed. They said, yes, we'd like to do that. <sighs> I don't know. They were shipped off to a juvenile home. Several months later, one of our societies, that's what we were, went to the jail. A team went to the jail, uh, to a juvenile facility. 
these two young men came up and said, hey, we were saved at Jefferson County Jail. Can you tell us more about how to live for Christ? God, you know, sometimes I've seen people cry crocodile tears and nothing happened in their life. I don't think the Holy Spirit was in it. Uh, so it's work left. You know, we, we are given the opportunity to partner with God. What a joy that is. Now, if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he will prompt you sometimes to make a phone call. Now, how many times I've had somebody, I call somebody and said, you know, I was just hoping you would call today. I went to a hospital room one time to visit a pastor, and he said, I had a hunch you'd come today. I'm glad I did, because I almost didn't. <laughs> but there was that prompting. I, you know, I had to go see him and talk to him today. And Holy Spirit is a wonderful friend. He's the helper. Now, the word comforter means to give strength, one who strengthens. He comforts us in our trouble and sorrow. That's true, too. But the idea is to give us strength. You cannot live the Christian life by yourself. You need the Holy Spirit's help. And then the Lord is our strength. Well, what will he do? He'll, he'll guide you into all truth. That's part of our responsibility. We have to read the word before he can do that. But he'll guide us. He'll direct us. If you'll trust him, he'll guide you into truth. What will he do? He'll glorify me. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. That's why you don't hear much about him, I suppose. Uh, not a lot of hymns written about the Holy Spirit. You sang one tonight. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He draws attention to Jesus Christ. He glorifies him. That's his ministry and that's what he does. Well, there's a promise of hope as well. This is the passage. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye shall weep and lament but the world will rejoice. Ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. He's talking about the crucifixion. This is going to be the most horrible experience of the disciples' life. Jesus Christ, who they believed was the Messiah, is going to die. They're going to scatter. He's going to be arrested that night. They're going to scatter. Only John and Peter will follow, both afar off. John stays outside the... The, the palace or the high priest home. Peter goes in, remember, and denies the Lord. Jesus, that we believe was the Messiah, is dead. We can't imagine what that must have felt like for them. They probably watched him die from afar. John is the only one that was near the cross, but they knew what was going on. They probably were afraid we'll be next. The authorities are going to come for us. That first Easter Sunday, they're gathered together in an upper, that same upper room. The doors are locked. The windows are shuttered. They're there in fear. And suddenly Jesus appears in the midst. Their sorrow was turned to joy. I had in my office for a number of years a picture of the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus with the Lord. That's one of my favorite stories at Easter time. Of The stranger comes up to them and says, why are you so sorrowful? He said, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? Jesus has died. And then he opens the scripture and, and shows them how Jesus had to suffer, the Messiah had to suffer and die and would rise again. They invited him to spend the night. He broke bread and they recognized him. He's alive. He's alive. We serve a risen Savior. 
He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. I know that he is living. He's a living Savior. We don't serve a dead Savior. Sorrow shall return to joy. In Psalm 30, it says, Sorrow may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You may be going through a trial right now. It may be a difficult time, or it may be you've just come out of a trial, but trials are a part of our life. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, we serve a Savior who's able to deliver us from this wicked, cruel world and give us a home in heaven. That ought to thrill our soul. We are not those who are abandoned. We're never alone. We have a helper. When we die, we know we're going to heaven. So we have hope. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm going to come again. I think soon. I think it will be in my lifetime. I still believe that. I was born the same year as Israel was reborn as a nation, 1948. I think that generation will not pass. Now, I could be very wrong. Paul thought he was going to be in that generation too, and it's been a few thousand years since then. But I, I, I believe the trump could sound even tonight. The question is, are you ready? You're going to have tribulation whether you're saved or not. You will have trouble. The difference is, you and I have the promise of heaven, We have the promise of a helper that will get us through. And we have the promise of hope. There is more to come. An older woman lay dying in the hospital. Her pastor went to visit her. And she said, Pastor, I know I'm dying. But she said, "Uh, I want you to put a fork in my hand in the casket. He said, a fork? Why in the world would you want a fork in the casket? She said, well, uh, at potluck dinners at church, I've learned that they always say at the end of the meal, keep your fork because dessert's coming up. The best is yet to come. So I want every person that goes by my casket to realize that I believe the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise. We live in a troubled world. A lot of bad things happening in our world. But we still read that you're still in your temple. You're still on your throne. You're working all things together according to your plan. I think the world's getting ready for the Antichrist. We ought to be getting ready for heaven. And Lord, we want to take as many people there as we possibly can. So help us. Heavenly Father, if there's someone here that does not know Christ as Savior, may tonight be their night of decision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.